Welcome to the Heal Ministry Podcast, where we believe that God heals us in the way that brings Him the most glory and draws us closest to Him. Whether you've received healing, you're in the fight of your life, or you gave up on God a long time ago, you are welcome here. As you come to the table, listen with an open mind, knowing everyone's journey is unique and God's goodness truly can be found amidst our physical suffering. Welcome to the Heal Podcast. My name is Tara Bradham Denai. I am your host, and if you've been listening for this season, I can't believe that it's coming up on the final couple episodes. It goes by so fast, at least it does for me. So don't worry, I'm going to publish a final episode that is detailing what's coming next. But one of the things that is coming, as I'm sure you've heard me talk about if you've been listening, is my Bible study that's coming out in November. Within the Bible study, since the theme is the fog of physical suffering, there are actually excerpts from other authors called the gray zone, because very often I think we think healing is black or white, and it's actually a little bit gray. And so I want you to wrestle with people's testimonies yourself as you go through the study. So they're just examples of what authors have gone through and their different kinds of healing, and they are very different testimonies. So please check out the pre-order of the Bible study. And then today, though, we have two more episodes. One is Jeff Brannon, who is our interview today. Jeff is a professor of biblical studies and chair of the biblical studies and Christian ministries department at Bell Haven University. He's the author of The Heavenlies in Ephesians and the book that we talk about today, The Hope of Life After Death, A Biblical Theology of Resurrection. Guys, I love talking about the resurrection because this is like the crux of our faith, okay? If the resurrection is not true, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else in the world, really. I mean, that's in the Bible, right? So this matters. And Jeff asked the question, why does it matter? Why does Jesus's resurrection matter? Why does our resurrection matter? If you don't know that, our bodies will be resurrected. We get beautiful, wonderful new heavenly bodies as well. So we have amazing things to look forward to in addition to the healing and grace that God has for us and our bodies on this side of the new heaven and new earth. So we delve into all of that stuff. Here's a fun conversation about resurrection with author Jeff Brannon. Jeff, we have you on the Heal Podcast today. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Welcome to the Heal Podcast. Thanks so much. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me. I love this book you've written. I assume you've written multiple books. Have you not? My dissertation was published, and um, and then okay. I've written this book, and then have other written other articles and other things kind of in, in progress. So, yeah, but this was kind of the second full book that, that I'd done. Mm-hmm. Okay, and tell me what the ESBT series is essential studies in biblical theology with ivp right yeah that's 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 a great question it's a great series so it's actually um i have a good friend here i live in the jackson mississippi area and i'm a good friend that i go to church with and that lives in this area and so forth our our families are good friends and so forth he's the he's been the editor of the series he may be uh, they may be moving on to another editor um, after this this first ten, but it's a great series. It's it's uh, a biblical theological series, and by biblical theology, what it means is in this more technical sense of kind of when you look at a redemptive theme in Scripture. And the goal of this series is to kind of trace that theme 
from Genesis all the way to Revelation. So you're kind of looking and, and seeing how different redemptive themes unfold in Scripture. So there have been some on exile. There have been some on who are God's people. Um, there's been another one on God's covenant. And the goal of this series is for it to be grounded in good scholarship, but for it to be accessible to all people. Yeah, I wrote my book, my two oldest kids have read it. Hmm. Um, they read it when they were 16 and 14 and so forth. So yeah, that that is part of the goal for it to be gra- uh, kind of grounded with good scholarship, but for it to be accessible for people, all people in the church. Yeah, that's really good to hear that it's not just for professors and people in academia to read this book, right? Yeah, that's right. Definitely. Yeah. So tell us why, I don't know how the publishing process worked, but why were you approached or why did you get to write a book on resurrection. Was that a passion of yours? Is that something you specialize in as a professor? How did you have that particular theme, redemptive theme in scripture? Yeah, that's that's great. Great question. So for my my side of the equation, it was kind of, it's, there were really a couple of things they were kind of formative in how I thought about theology and how I thought about the Bible. When I went to seminary, which was many years ago now, I had a seminary professor that said something to this effect, and I mentioned this in the book, and the seminary professor said that most Christians have kind of a, a strong understanding of or can it can express a theology of Christ's death on the cross, of why that is important for our salvation. But those same Christians that might be able to articulate that and understand that are kind of at a loss when they think about why is Jesus' resurrection important. And a number of people have kind of said this sort of thing that for many years, Jesus' resurrection has been, the focus has been, Jesus has been raised from the dead, therefore you should listen to Jesus. Or Jesus has been raised from the dead, you should believe Christianity. So it's kind of an apologetic focus, which is fine and good, and that's an, there's an important um, aspect to that. Mm-hmm. But why is Jesus' resurrection important for salvation? Why is Jesus' resurrection important for our future? And so the seminary professor said that, and it really kind of haunted me because I felt like he was describing me. Like I always understood or under, had a good understanding of why Jesus' death on the cross was important, mm-hmm. but couldn't really articulate why Jesus' resurrection was important. The other thing, and I know I think we may be talking about this some later on, but my conception of eternal life of what the Bible teaches about it and what Christianity believes, I think was was kind of at odds, not at odds, but was not consistent with what the Bible teaches. My conception of eternal life was this, that eternal life is kind of floating up in heaven on the clouds, kind of playing harps and these sorts of things. And I would feel really, really guilty when I was growing up and when I was young, because I'd be like, you know, this just doesn't sound exciting to me. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I just felt like, okay, well, you know, this life sounds awesome. The good things that can be part of this life, but eternal life, just kind of floating around up in clouds and so forth. That doesn't seem very exciting to me. But then when I kind of understood what the Bible taught about eternal life, the new heavens and new earth, resurrection, these sorts of things, um, they became foundational for me. So those two ideas, the importance of Jesus' resurrection and what is our, what is the, what does the Bible teach about eternal life for Christians? Those were really kind of the impetus for me beginning to think through this. And then, as I mentioned, um, I have this uh, had this good friend, have this good friend, Ben Glad, and uh, he was doing the series. I had told him about my interest in this book. It seemed like a good match. And so we started to have discussions and conversations and became part of this series with IVP. Awesome. Thanks for explaining that. That's really 
cool. And I think most people have this view of heaven, right? And we've, we talked to James Paul. I told you that uh, I'll link that interview on what on earth is heaven. And he had very similar things about heaven. And then I've, I've personally read some stuff with John Mark Comer. And I feel like he's one of the intellectuals who's really taking back like the new heaven and the new Mm -hmm. earth and explaining what that means. So we're going to get there. I told you that would be my focus, but first off, just going to the basis of this interview, I wanted to bring you on because Paul says without the resurrection, we're to be pitied as Christians more than all men. Right. And so is there anything you said? I mean, I went through your book. I want to focus on some of the, the final, final ish middle chapters. Was there anything in there that you, you say you follow this redemptive theme all the way through scripture that we're like really missing as Christians that you'd want to say from some of those beginning chapters before we jump into some of the other stuff? Well, yeah, what I'm, what I'm highlighting, what I'm trying to emphasize is this, is that the foundation for resurrection is in, is in Genesis one and two and Genesis three. So God creates humanity for life. And so I kind of highlight some things that are connected with that. Number one, he creates humanity for life in relationship with him. Okay. I know most people have probably heard this before, but it really is pretty astounding. The fact that God really did create us to have an actual relationship with him, to know him, to relate to him, to glorify him. God also creates us, uh, creates humanity to dwell in his presence. And this is another astounding thing that God creates us not just to relate to him, not just to know him, but to actually be in his presence. God wants and intends to dwell with humanity. And that's that's pretty in- incredible. You know, one of the things that's kind of interesting and incredible to think about from Genesis 1 and 2 is we could say the Garden of Eden kind of being a temple garden. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes it so amazing is this is the place where God would dwell on the earth. It was his temple garden. So this is God's purpose. And his purpose was for this temple garden to to expand and then to go to the ends uh, of the earth. And then God creates us to reign over creation. A lot of times I'll reference this song by Tears for Fears, which is, you know, kind of show my age and so forth. But everybody wants to rule the world, a great 80s song. And I say this, that everybody wants to rule the world because God created us to rule the world. There's to rule the world. So I think Tears for Fears gets at something quite significant there when they say that. But yeah. Genesis 1, 26 through 31, Psalm 8 and so forth. These are all connected with life. So embodied life, physical life. This is what God creates us for. And then at the fall, these things are lost. Our relationship with God is lost. We're alienated from God. We're cast out of God's presence out of this temple garden, no more access to the tree of life. And then we do not reign over creation as God intended and purposed. And I think this kind of fits with what you're talking about. This is where sin, death, illness, disease, difficulty, strife, suffering, all of this comes as a result of the fall. And rather than reigning and ruling over creation, we could say that creation reigns and rules over us, we might say. But the great news of the gospel, which unfolds through all of Scripture and begins there really foundationally in Genesis 3.15, is God promises that one day the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Now, this is the promise of Jesus coming to crush Satan in his first coming and his second coming. It's also the promise that God's people will be victorious one day. And so what I say is this is the first promise of that our relationship with God will be redeemed 
that we will one day dwell with God again, that we will one day reign over creation. And also, it's the first implicit promise of resurrection life, that death as the consequence of sin will be overcome. Yeah. So you're making me think right now. I did not prep you for this, so it's okay if it gets too deep. But I'm, I'm having this thought, and I'm going through scripture, and I'm just going to be humble and admit that I'm not sure what I'm saying is accurate at all, but hopefully you'll be able to tell me if it is, is that we have all these prophecies of the Messiah and Jesus in the Torah, right, in, in the Old Testament. I think that they are mostly metaphorical, or I don't know if there's actually a prophecy that says the Messiah will be resurrected. Is there? So it's really interesting. This is a great question. And I, and I walk through some of this uh, stuff in the book and so forth. So what I would say is this. You have, when you think about the old covenant, you've got promises of things in the new covenant. You have prophecies of things in the new covenant. And you also have pictures. So sometimes we get pictures. This is one thing I'll talk about um, earlier. But yes, are there prophecies of the resurrection of the Messiah? So for example, if you kind of look at Acts 2 and Acts 13, in Acts 2, Peter gives his Pentecost sermon. In Acts 13, Paul gives um, his synagogue sermon. And they will both cite places like this, like Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 110 as evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And they will say things like this. When David talks about that there is joy in God's presence, for example, that David understood something. We don't have to get into all the kind of the nuts and bolts of it, but David understood something connecting with this Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel 7, that there would be um, a greater David to come, that there would be a greater king to come. And David understood on some level that there would be life after death. And so he says that he prophesied about this coming of Jesus and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Now, people go back and forth on how much David understood. That's not the point. The point is that the New Testament authors will point to different passages here, like Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Psalm 110. Of course, you have prophecies of resurrection in Isaiah 25, Isaiah 26, and Daniel 12, and I think Hosea 6 as well. And what the New Testament community does, I think the Hosea 6 one is an interesting one because there's, it's a prophecy, I think, of resurrection of God's people and this kind of new covenant, new creation type thing. But then they apply it to Jesus because this interesting third day language is used. And it, and it seems to be that this age of resurrection has begun with Jesus' resurrection. But let me mention one more. In Isaiah 52 and 53, the song of the suffering servant, I think this is missed a lot. Is that like bruised for his tra- our transgressions? Yes, that's for right. our iniquities? That's right. So the song of the suffering servant, which speaks about a servant that would die for the nation, that would die for sins and so forth, be bruised for transgressions. Um, and most people, uh, of course, talk about this with Jesus's death and Peter will talk about this and first Peter and so forth. It's 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 alluded to all over the New Testament. But if you look at the beginning of that song in Isaiah 52, that that piece and the end, um, what you see is a resurrection for this suffering servant as well. Hmm. That there will be uh, enthronement, there will be exaltation, he will see the light of life. So I think you see that really, really explicitly in a place like Psalm 52 and 53, that not only will this servant be an atonement for sin, but this servant will be raised to life as well. So it's really clear when you describe it like that. But I mean, 
the Jews expected a Messiah to come in and conquer Rome, right? So it had to have been like somewhat easy to miss or metaphorical or things like when you weren't expecting that, right? Yes, that's right. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. And what I would say is this, from the Old Testament perspective, what the Old Testament, to be really clear, is correct. It's true. Okay. So um, I believe that everything the Old Testament says is correct, consistent and true and so forth. You know, people use different illustrations to describe it. It would be like if you're in an airplane and you're flying up, you know, 30,000 feet and you look out and you see kind of a horizon from a distance, you can't see all of the details. So from the Old Testament perspective, they see kind of the coming of the Messiah or the coming of the kingdom, and everything happens really, really quickly. Like the age of sin and death and defeat and evil is done away with really, really quickly. And from the New Testament perspective, what we see is this. It's like so so it's like getting up close when you're not 30,000 feet away, hmm. okay? It's where you have kind of the telescope and can see the details and so forth. What Jesus says, and this is so important. If you look at Jesus's parables in Matthew 13, this is precisely what he's doing. In every single one, he is giving teaching on what the kingdom of God is going to be like, which would have been utterly and absolutely paradigm shifting for those who heard that you said those Jews would be like, what in the world's going on? He's saying this, no, no, the kingdom's not going to come all at once. Mm -hmm. It's going to start as a mustard seed, and then it's going to grow into a large tree. Okay. The kingdom is going to have good and the kingdom age is going to have good and evil. Okay. When you have the parable of, of the wheat uh, and the tares and so forth, and you have these weeds and so forth. And this will not all be sorted out until the second coming of Jesus. So when you look at the New Testament, what we see is that the kingdom doesn't come all at once. There's this age, we could say, of the overlap of the ages, mm -hmm. when kind of this age of evil, suffering, death overlaps with the new age of righteousness, victory, life. And then these, uh, this evil age or this old age is not completely done away with until Jesus' second coming. So yeah, that's so important what you said. And this is the reason it's so important to pay attention to what Jesus says in these parables like Matthew 13, which would have been utterly shocking for Jesus's mm -hmm. first disciples, as you mentioned, because they would have expected something very, very quickly, yeah. as you mentioned. Yeah, so I love the fact that God is the best author in the world, and I think our individual lives in my life, I just see him writing a story that's like, this is so much better than what I asked you for. Thank you for saying no. Yeah. And you see it in yeah. the broader arc of scripture. And I mean, I know the word is alive and active, and so you, you see different things when you read it. But I mean, the more you study the Bible, you just see... I mean, these connections that are just insane of how he, he connects story. So I know this right. is kind of what you wrote a whole book on, and we'll, we'll get into some more specifics in a second. But just if you could kind of put it in a nutshell for us, when, when people weren't expecting it based on what was going on, Old Testament times, mm -hmm. why would God choose to write the story of his son dying and being resurrected like yeah. what's what's the power in that that they didn't see that god knew that that was a better story yeah that's great i would say this that if we again we kind of put ourselves in, in israel's shoes and kind of the first century a.d you know in the, the turn of the century bc a.d that sort of thing we would see this they would have readily understood god's people would have readily understood that their enemies were rome and you could kind of trace you know enemies from from assyria to, to babylon to Persia, to Greece, you know, to Rome and so forth. And they would have re readily understood that. In our own days, we have perhaps 
different people that we could consider enemies, different trials that we have. We can understand something that's a challenge in life that we would feel like, oh, this is what's holding me back. Well, when God writes this story, and again, it takes us back to kind of the Genesis 1 through 3, God is making it clear that, okay, there's there's something that to that of course and we can't get into all kind of the, the theology with all that right now but god is saying that there is um, a greater enemy than rome for example that there is a greater enemy and that is sin and death mm-hmm. and in god's we can't get into god's mind in the sense but in god's good plan for him to bring about this redemption what he ordained is that Death is the consequence for sin. Therefore, this offspring of the woman that will crush that of the serpent would suffer death for God's people, suffer under God's curse, going into exile, we could say, for God's people. And then that this offspring of the woman, this suffering servant, would overcome sin and death uh, through resurrection. So I think it's just this, that God's people... They understood something about their enemies, but they really didn't understand that their greatest enemies were sin and death. And in yeah. God writing this you know, beautiful story, like you said, he writes this story and Jesus comes as the hero, the one who takes the sin of his people on himself and then overcomes sin and death through his resurrection. This is just a little side point, but uh, I do think it's pretty uh, incredible when you look at all the connections in Scripture, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. that it's one of the things that gives the evidence, I think, for the truth, the veracity of Scripture, yeah. that I don't think you could have... 40-something authors over 1,500 years, all kinds of different books, and there'd be one story that's weaved together. So I think it it really highlights the truth of Scripture. I mean, you can kind of look at movies today. I'm not going to give any examples (laughs) on this podcast, but movies were like, well, this story didn't even make sense, and they just all kind of work together, and this doesn't even make sense. But this, it really shows the fact that I think Scripture is from God. All Scripture is God-breathed and the truth to yeah. this, uh, to Christianity. I'll say one cause I'm the host and I can, I can do that. I don't mind, but, uh, we love star Wars here. Right. But like, you can tell that they, there were different directors and like, sometimes like so, you're like, Whoa, you just like decided to make that ending. And like, you know what I'm saying? That is the one, that's the one that I didn't say. And like you said, I didn't say it. That's the one I talk about, but I'm like, really, you couldn't, you couldn't make a, a more cohesive story there. You know, when you're all kind of supposed to be working together, but this is 40 different authors. Yeah. 1500 years yeah and it's all it all fits together it really is astounding and in so many different themes like you said i mean like this entire series that we could take trace all of these themes not just resurrection it is absolutely mind-blowing so thank you for going into that i think that's super powerful the foundation of it i do want to talk a little bit about you know most people listening are in a bunch of physical pain they're like why does this matter Mm -hmm. to me right now well the hope of the resurrection isn't just this pie in the sky opioid in the for the masses like Karl Marx says like this is our real hope but I love some of the things you talk about because they're not common to talk about hey the fact that there are actually like two resurrections mentioned Mm -hmm. in scripture yeah and so you talk about revelation (laughs) which is that's always fun to interpret but we're gonna go there so revelation 20 5 through 6 says this is the first resurrection Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So what what do you take all this to mean? The first resurrection and then the second death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? That's good. And let me let me take this. 
I might take this in a slightly different direction just to kind of bring the, the whole of everyone who's listening together because mm-hmm. the, the revelation stuff is a little more controversial. So yeah. we might say, um, yeah. and people sure. have different views on how they understand revelation 20 and so forth. So let me, so let me just shift from that a little bit. Yeah. And I know you wanted to talk about this as well, but let, let me do this. So what I believe the Bible teaches is, um, and this is what I believe the first resurrection, this highlight in Revelation 20, other people might say something different, but when Christians die, they go to be with the Lord, mm-hmm. okay? Where they go to be with Jesus. Where is Jesus? He's reigning in heaven at God's right hand. This is good news. So for example, in Philippians 1, Paul will say that it's better to go and to be with Christ. I think another passage is Revelation 6, 9 through 11, highlights this, that the souls of deceased believers are under the altar. That's language for God's presence. So what happens when believers die? And this is good news. They go to be with the Lord. This means that we are released, we could say, from our physical our spiritual, our emotional, our mental baggage, anguish, difficulty, suffering. We go to be with the Lord. Paul says that it is better by far. That's what I would say is, is the first resurrection. Again, the Revelation 20 people have their views on that. Um, but the good news is, is we go to be with the Lord. You can also see this, I think, in Revelation 7 as well. But this is an important piece of the puzzle. Now, the what the language that I use in the book and the language that's used in my tradition and so forth is this is the intermediate state. So as wonderful and as great as this is, it's not the final state for Christians. It's not the final state for, uh, for believers. And what you see, for example, in this Revelation 6 passage is you have these deceased believers, even these people that were martyred, And they are in the Lord's presence and they're crying out, how long, O Lord? Mm. And what are they looking forward to? They're looking forward to the final judgment. They're looking forward to their future glorified bodily resurrection, to the second coming of Jesus and the new creation. But the good news, I would say, is this. And this is the reason Paul says that it's better. This is the reason that it's good news, is that we are released when we go to be with the Lord to this kind of physical, emotional spiritual, social, mental, all these sorts of anguish and difficulties and trials. We are kind of set free from those. I believe we are in the Lord's presence, so therefore we no longer sin. And the problem is just that people tend to think this, that going to heaven is the final state for believers. And that's where I would just push back. And I would say it's not the final state. It is the intermediate state, but it is really, really important You know, and you kind of mentioned this. Let me circle back around to something you said. Why is this hope of resurrection not just pie-in-the-sky theology? Mm -hmm. Um, The reason, I think, is because Jesus has actually been raised from the dead. So if you see in that 1 Corinthians 15 passage, which you referenced earlier, um, for whatever reason, you have people in the church that are doubting the resurrection, that don't believe in the resurrection, and And Paul says this, that everything in Christianity hinges on this. Mm -hmm. If the resurrection is not true, we are to be more pitied. You are still in your sins. There's no hope. And what I would submit, this kind of goes back to some of the stuff we just mentioned with the Bible stuff, but that everything is evidence for the truth of Christianity. This is not an apologetic folk. You know, we can't can't go into that right now. But everything is evidence for the truth of Christianity. 
And if you think about, and this was not the focus of my book, but there are plenty of books that have been written on this, but there is a lot of evidence for Jesus's resurrection from the dead. Yeah. In fact, some people will say that it's like, you know, one of the most substantiated facts in all of history. You yeah. can read a whole host of, of books on these sorts of things. And so it's not pie in the sky theology because Jesus has actually been raised from the dead. And, you know, you can look at things like this, the, the change in the disciples. Mm -hmm. They were willing to die for Christ before they were running away. They were denying him. And now they're willing to die for yeah. Christ. The water coming out of his side that he really died. Some people say yeah. he doesn't die. Yeah, yeah. So this is not pie in the sky theology. And then uh, I'll, I'll mention this because, um, and I'll, uh, wherever you take us after this will be great. Yeah. But the eternal state, I would say Jesus comes back. And what you see in Revelation 21 and 22, you see heaven, the new heaven coming to earth, the new Jerusalem, mm -hmm. heaven and earth are one. And what what will this eternal state be like? Will it be the fulfillment of all of these wonderful creation promises that God intended? Mm -hmm. So a perfect relationship with the Lord, no more sin. We will dwell in the Lord's presence. The whole of creation, as God intended, will be uh, the mm -hmm. temple. There's no temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. We will reign over creation as God intended. This means that sin and death are done away with. Creation no longer reigns over us. And there will be this eternal, glorified bodily resurrection. And when I heard this kind of, and when I understood this from the Bible for the first time, it was life-changing for me because I said, this is an eternity that I can get excited about. Yeah. That everything that is bad about this life, everything that is stained and touched by sin will be done away with. Everything that's good will have a greater and better fulfillment. Yeah. So can we just say that we're learners here? I'm a learner. Like, would you say that you're 100% sure accurate on all this? I mean, some of this is, is theological sure. interpretation, So, right? um, yeah, so I would say this. I mean, I try to keep things that are primary issues, try to distinguish from what are primary issues and secondary issues. I would yeah, say the Revelation yeah. 20, that sort of thing, and the Millennium thing. There are Christians that have different views on that. If you want to if you want to say, well, I've got a different view on that, that's fine. Yeah. What I would say is a more primary issue where we can be grounded and have this kind of firm foundation hope are things like this on who Jesus is mm -hmm. and affirming that Jesus is raised from the dead. This was affirmed from the from very early on in the church. You can look at the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection mm -hmm. of the dead. So yeah. when you think about, for whatever reason, this emphasis in the church that eternity is just kind of floating up in heaven in some sort of immaterial or bodiless state, we would say that we've gotten away a little bit from what Scripture had said, or not emphasizing enough about what Scripture says, not emphasizing what the Apostles' Creed said about affirming the resurrection of the dead. So I would say mm -hmm. that we're on um, very firm ground there, that you have yeah. the hope of resurrection life, and by hope I mean a firm and certain hope and that believers will reign with Christ forever in the new creation. So I would say, you know, like resurrection, that sort of thing, that's a primary issue. Yeah. And and that's and that's yeah, really, yeah. really clear in scripture. If you want to, you know, talk about the millennium or something like that, well, that's more of a secondary issue. Yeah. I just want to kind of guide people into, hey, examine the scriptures for yourself. But, hey, we're bringing Jeff on because he's done the research, you know, and can give us some expert tips here, but also just holding lightly. What are the, the closed-handed issues and what are the open-handed yeah. issues as we yeah. kind of guide people into examining this for themselves? So one question I had, and I don't know what church tradition you come from, but 
what is different, what you're saying when you say the intermediary state of heaven, right? Because there is going to be a second coming and a second Mm -hmm. resurrection with our bodies. And Paul talks about that. How is that different? You're not talking about purgatory, right? Right, right. So can you explain that for some people who might be coming from different backgrounds? So again, the intermediate state, and and I think this would be, I think there would there be most, of course, you can't say all, but most Christians in their different traditions are going to believe something like this. But I believe that when Christians die, and this is all I mean by the intermediate state, is they go to be with the Lord. They go to be with the Lord in heaven. So it's not soul sleep, and it's not purgatory. And uh, it would be a resurrection of the soul, we might say. This is where humility comes when we're like, we don't really know. We only have very tiny guesses at what this is really like, right? But we can say, for example, again, what Paul says, it's better to depart and to go yes. to be with the Lord. Yeah. So he, and so that sort of thing. So, yeah, so we go to be with Jesus. We're with Jesus in heaven. You know, we don't know exactly um, what all that, you know, we can't, we can't get into too, too many specifics here. Mm-hmm. But I would say, again, it's this idea of just being kind of released yeah. from our physical, our mental, our emotional kind of turmoils of this life, spiritual and so forth. We're with, we're with the Lord. And it's the resurrection of the soul to be with the Lord. And the and the eternal state, like you said, to distinguish that would be when Jesus returns and there are new glorified resurrection bodies to reign with Christ in the new creation. And so whereas our former bodies were kind of sown in weakness, these will be raised. This is the contrast that Paul will use in 1 Corinthians 15. They'll be raised uh, in power. They were sown mm-hmm. perishable. They'll be raised imperishable no longer subject to sin, no longer subject to death, raised by the spirit. When, when, these are de- when Paul describes these as spiritual bodies, it means animated, mm-hmm. um, empowered, raised by the Holy Spirit. So that's, um, of course, the good news for those who may be struggling with whether it's physical or emotional mm-hmm. or mental pain. There is good news both in the intermediate state but also, especially for this eternal state, when all these things will be done away with and these things with our body. I mean, even even Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, when we were kind of chatting a little bit before mm-hmm. about you know some of the challenges that some of the listeners may hear, even Paul says at times, hey, I'm pleading, Jesus, will you take this away from me? Yeah. This thorn in my flesh, we don't know what that is. But in three times, Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, that I, I'm with you. I'm never going to leave you. My grace is sufficient. Cling to me. But then Paul, of course, would never divorce that from 1 Corinthians 15, the hope of resurrection life when we'll be raised in our new glorified resurrected bodies yeah. and power. Yeah. Okay. Random question. Is Revelation 21 talking about the first resurrection or the second resurrection or both, or do we not know? The no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. Yeah, I think Revelation 21 and 22 talking about, you know, this, what we would say, the new creation. So kind of Jesus return and so forth um, coming down. So you can see this. I saw a new heaven at the beginning of Revelation 21, a new heaven, a new earth, the first heaven and first earth Mm -hmm. that passed away, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down. So when you get there, what you see is a picture of, of the eternal state, the new heavens and new earth, the new creation. Mm-hmm. And 1 Corinthians 15 fits right in there, the, the resurrection mm-hmm. of believers yeah. to reign in the new creation. 
Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. Satisfying my curiosity. I don't know what good there is in this, but I don't know if you ever let your mind go and what the difference is or the tension we should hold as Christians between God gave us an imagination and that's what differentiates us from all other animals and just the trust of faith and saying, okay, God, this is what we have. And there's a lot that we don't have, but this is what we can stand on in scripture. But like, do you ever think about like, okay, and the new heaven and the new earth, like when the new earth comes, if this is the believers reigning with Christ and we all have resurrected bodies, like maybe there's a lot fewer of us than we think, or like, how are all these people going to fit on earth? Is he going to make earth bigger? What is that? Like, do you, do you ever go into these things and maybe they're not helpful? Maybe it's just me. Yeah, I know. I think, (laughs) of course, I think, I think we all, I think we all kind of think about those things and speculate on those things. And, you know, we, we really just can't, in one sense, the Bible gives us a couple different images. One, mm-hmm. Jesus will say that the road is broad, you know, the road to destruction and so forth, and the road to life is narrow. And I think that's highlighting the fact that we must trust in Jesus. There is no other way. Mm-hmm. And that so there are many, many people who reject Jesus as Savior and Lord. So that's highlighting that that is highlighting that kind of aspect. But then you also see, for example, pictures of a great multitude, a great number of mm-hmm. God's people. Every tribe and nation and tongue, right? Yeah, that's right. And then God's kingdom going to the ends of the earth. So you have this picture of kind of a, of a garden, but it's really going to be kind of like a city garden, we might say. So yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I have whatever it is, it will be the populated aspect that we need and want yep. for to have yeah. a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with others. And it, it will highlight... There will certainly be beauty in the new creation. Mm-hmm. There will be nature, and there will also be fellowship and community with other believers. So not only and this, horses, yep. because Jesus rides a horse. Yeah. So I, 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 I <laughs> you know, I have no reason to think otherwise. So yeah, that's right. That's right. I'm a big horse person, so I, right. I stick to that. Good. I don't know yeah. if, if he, he's one of the yeah. only ones in the the pale horse of death, but that's okay. So thank you for going down my uh, little rabbit trail. I just. It, I think it's fun to think about some of these things and then come back to, well, this is what we can stand on and this is our hope. So two different questions, take it whichever way or answer both of them. If you want to kind of wrap us up one, is there anything that's burning on your minds that I haven't asked you about that you would like to share? And then two, just kind of wrapping us up. If there are people listening, there are, because we live in a broken world, people listening who are suffering in whatever way, like what hope would you leave them with out of, out of all of this? Yeah, I'll just kind of conclude with this. I mean, if you kind of, if you kind of look at Philippians 3, 7 through 11, I think this is one that you kind of referenced in even when you sent me this email that Paul will highlight that we identify with Christ's sufferings and also so that we may attain to this resurrection from the dead. The Christian hope, I think, is actually quite unique and kind of other religions and so forth. Now, there are others that have kind of piggybacked on Christianity in different ways and so forth. But for many people, there's no hope whatsoever because this life is all there is. Mm -hmm. I can remember even when one of my children and there was, we didn't know exactly what was going on. He's doing really, really well, really quite well. But there was a time early on in his life when uh, we went to, and I can kind of be, be a worrier and just take things to the extreme right away. But there was a time when we went, took him to the doctor and the doctor kind of just said things which fueled all my kind of worries that we were not sure 
at some point if, if, he, if he'd be able to walk. Hmm. Okay. So there were some issues. Um, he was very, very young. We know now with some low muscle tone and that sort of thing, he's doing quite well. And I thought at that moment about, well, what do so many people believe about this life? And so many people say that this life is all there is. And what I said, uh, what I thought about, what I kind of prayed in that moment was this, that God, I want my son to run either in this life or the next. I, I don't know. I don't know if my son's going to run in this life. I don't know what's going to But for me, that just having a good life in this life wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. That because of sin, because of brokenness, because of suffering, if this life is all we have, there really is no hope for those who are going through really, really difficult things. Yeah. And so, but the the gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ is that all things will be made new. All things will be right. There will be glorified new resurrected bodies uh, in the new creation. So I think that Christianity offers a hope that's different from any other religion, any other hope, any other teaching. Now that doesn't make it true just because it offers it. I believe it's true for a number of reasons. Mm-hmm. And because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and because of God because of the truth and the veracity of God's word and so forth and God's, you know, okay, so so but the point is this. The point is that the Christian hope is unique. It connects us with all of the good of this life that has a greater fulfillment. And all of the bad, the evil, and the sin that is taken away. And so I do think it's incredible and wonderful hope for the listeners going through that God does plan and intend to heal all the diseases of his people. He intends to overcome sin and death. He will overcome the mental anguish and emotional turmoil that we go through. And we get pictures and glimpses and little bits of that now. Mm-hmm. But we get the consummation of that, the finality of that, the fulfillment of that in the new heavens and new earth when Jesus returns. Yeah. My pastor has a metaphor that I love where he described it as like the, the cake of of heaven, the new earth coming that we get. And so when we see miracles and we see all these little things or healings, that's like getting little drops of the batter that we get yeah. little tastes of it. But the cake is coming. Good. I like that. The cake I like is that. coming. Yeah, that's right. I'll say sometimes the previews, like it's like the previews of what's to come. Yeah, that's great. And previews for the best movie ever made, Yeah, right? That has everything connects. Yes. Okay, Jeff, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for coming on and just telling us a little bit about this little snippet and theme in scripture that's maybe the biggest one, but giving us hope in that way by, by going through this and producing and writing the work that you have. So thank you. Well, thanks so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. It's kind of fun to geek out and nerd out with someone who can really go there, isn't it? I had a blast with Jeff. I hope you did too. You can check out his book, uh, The Hope of Life After Death, in the show notes, in addition to the pre-order of my Bible study, Through the Fog, and some other stuff that we mentioned in the episode. So check that out, and I pray that you can live empowered with the hope of the resurrection today. We will see you back here for our final episode of Season 3 next Monday.